Hello, and welcome to the Day Sun Digest. This episode is being recorded on Friday, February 12th of 2021. And I'm your host today, Angelina Davis. I am one of the Day Sun Liaison Clinical Pharmacists. And the title of this podcast episode is Sephedrocol, Seeking Another Option for Serious Gram-Negative Infections. One of the reasons I chose this topic is because we're currently facing a shortage of Zerbaxa right now, and the unavailability is due to a global drug recall that's been caused by some sterility issues that they have had in development of this agent. And because the shortage appears that it may be longer than anticipated, I do believe that it's worthwhile exploring some of the data on the use and the positioning of other agents for more resistant gram-negative infections. This month, I think Lancet, uh, the Lancet Infectious Diseases had a similar idea. They actually published two key articles on call for more serious gram-negative infections. And so I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into those studies and think about some of the ways that we can potentially position call in our hospitals. Now, before I jump into a review of the clinical data, I do want to just very briefly share a few details about sifiderocal uh, and how it actually works. Sifiderocal is a siderophore cephalosporin. It is structurally similar to ceftazidime as well as uh, cefepime. And like other cephalosporins, it inhibits gram-negative bacterial cell wall synthesis by binding to penicillin binding proteins. It is unique in that it enters the bacteria as a result of isiderophore-like or iron binding activity. If you remember, iron is an essential nutrient for bacterial growth, replication, and metabolism. So most bacteria actually secrete these very powerful ferric iron chelating molecules that we call siderophores, and they scavenge iron from the environment. And what sephedrocol is able to do is to bind or create this iron siderophore complex that is recognized by uptake systems in the bacteria, and that helps to facilitate the entry of the antibiotic or entry of sephedrocol into the bacterial cell. I just think that's cool. So <laughs> I wanted to share that bit with you so that you understand that this is a little bit different than your average cephalosporin. Additionally, it exhibits high stability to a variety of beta-lactamases, including AMP-C and extended spectrum beta-lactamases or ESBLs. So this is really a rather unique and interesting agent for the management of gram-negative infections. There were two studies that I wanted to highlight today that set the stage for many of the clinical questions that we're probably going to face in the very near future when it comes to considering other agents for use for gram-negative infections. And both of these studies were published back-to-back in the most recent February edition of the Lancet Infectious Diseases. This was volume 21, issue two. There was a, a earlier release of this data uh, online, but this was the, the formal publication of these two clinical trials. Now, the first trial or the first study is a randomized, double-blind, phase three, non-inferiority trial. It is one that compares the federal call versus high-dose extended infusion meropenem for the treatment of gram-negative nosocomial pneumonia. This study included adult patients that were age 18 years of age or older from a total of 76 centers in 17 countries in Asia, Europe, and the US. These patients 
were admitted to the hospital with an acute gram-negative bacterial pneumonia. Now, they could have any type of pneumonia ranging from hospital-acquired pneumonia, ventilator-associated pneumonia, healthcare-associated pneumonia, because keep in mind, this is before that guideline change in definition, based on gram stain and or culture of respiratory secretions within 72 hours of randomization. So that is how they determined or identified whether or not the patient had an acute gram-negative bacterial pneumonia. Eligibility also included those patients in which a gram-negative infection was suspected based on previous antibiotic use or local epidemiological evidence of gram-negative outbreak, and also those without a response to empiric antibiotic therapy within two calendar days. So there was some leeway with regards to patients that they included in this study and categorized as having a gram-negative pneumonia. There were also a number of exclusions. We won't go through all of them, but I do want to highlight some of the most notable included community-acquired pneumonia, because once again, this was a study of nosocomial pneumonia. So community-acquired pneumonia, atypical or viral pneumonia, those were all excluded. They also excluded pneumonia based or caused by a known carbapenem-resistant pathogen at baseline. So at randomization, if you had a carbapenem-resistant pathogen, you were not included. They excluded also patients with a Apache 2 score greater than 35, patients who had bronchiectasis, and patients who had cystic fibrosis. Patients that were included were randomized one-to-one to receive either a three-hour infusion of cefiterocol 2 grams or an extended infusion of meropenem 2 grams every eight hours for seven to 14 days. Treatment could be extended up to 21 days based on the discretion of the investigator, but for the most part, patients uh, stayed within the range of 7 to 14. If you had a clearance that was greater than 120 mils per minute in the study, so call was adjusted in dose to 2 grams every 6 hours, and this was not done in a double dummy study design, and they did not pursue that according to the, the trial because they wanted to avoid the risk of fluid overload in patients that did not require this adjustment, so making sure that patients who did not have as robust of a creatinine clearance did not receive too much fluid. To round out the broad spectrum coverage, all patients received IV linazolid 600 milligrams Q12 for at least five days. And this was to ensure that patients had sufficient coverage of gram positive bacteria. But outside of this, no other systemic antibiotic therapy was permitted. The primary endpoint of this study was all cause mortality at day 14. And there were a number of secondary endpoints, including clinical and microbiological outcomes per treatment group at test of cure, which they defined as seven days plus or minus two days at the end of treatment. They had also clinical and microbiological outcomes per patient or per baseline pathogen at early assessment. All-cause mortality at day 28. That's what we're more so used to compared to the 14. And overall analysis of day 14 all-cause mortality of subgroups. Now, there were also a number of additional secondary and post-hoc analyses associated with this trial data, but we will not get into a lot of that today. We're going to stay focused on some of the uh, primary, the primary endpoint and some of the uh, main secondary endpoints. 
If you look at the baseline demographic data and the clinical characteristics in this study, the two groups were relatively similar. Both groups were predominantly male with the average age of about 65 years. About one fifth of the patients were classified as having HCAP and the remaining 80% was somewhat equally split between HAP and VAP diagnosis. And there were a number of patients with multiple comorbidities and a rather significant risk for mortality as defined by their Apache 2 score of greater than or equal to 20. Those patients represented 28% in the cefeterocol arm and 31% in the meropenem arm having that higher Apache 2 score. The overwhelming majority of these patients, 95 to 97%, were classified as having a moderate to severe pneumonia. What we're really looking at here is a study of moderate to severe pneumonia comparing cefeterocol to extended infusion meropenem for the management of nosocomial pneumonia. One difference I do want to highlight with regards to baseline data is that there were slightly more patients with moderate disease in the meropenem arm. So just by number, there was a slight skew in terms of severity of disease in the cefeterocol arm. In terms of bacterial pathogens at baseline, 86% of patients in the cefeterocol group and 86% of patients in the meropenem group had a culture-documented gram-negative infection. So that's actually pretty good. As it would be anticipated, the most commonly detected pathogens included klebnumo, followed by Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and Acinetobacter. Those top three didn't vary by the pneumonia type. And there were 24% of patients in the cefeterocol group and 20% of patients in the meropenem group that actually had a pathogen with a meropenem NIC that of greater than eight micrograms per mil. And really most of these kind of more resistant organisms were actually found to be acinetobacter. The primary endpoint of all-cause mortality at day 14 um, was 12.4% in the cefiterocol group and 11.6% in the meropenem group with a p-value of 0.002, meaning that it met the criteria for non-inferiority in this trial. When they looked at all-cause mortality, even at day 28, that was also similar between the two groups. This was a study that was showing non-inferiority of the cefeteral call to meropenem in the management of these gram-negative nosocomial pneumonia infections. This also remained true for patients with acinetobacter or ESBL-producing pathogens. There were actually 16 patients uh, with acinetobacter isolates that had meropenem MICs that were higher than 64. So we're talking about this small subset of more resistant isolates. In this group, the all-cause mortality at day 14 was actually 0% in the cefeterocol arm. So none of the five patients in the cefeterocol group exhibited or had all-cause mortality at day 14 compared to 46% in the meropen arm, which was five out of the 11. And when you look at uh, day 28, 20% or one of the five in the cefeterocol group had all-cause mortality at day 28 compared to 64% or seven of 11 in the meropenem arm. So there appeared to be some benefit in this study for cefeterocol possibly in these more resistant isolates. Keep in mind that these numbers are very small, so we can't draw any conclusions from that other than just noting numerically that there is a trend there um, and something interesting to kind of dig deeper into. 
When you look at the predefined subgroup analyses, you will find that there were no clinically important differences between cefetrocol and americanum groups, except for the subgroup of patients with HCAP. And what makes this difference a little bit interesting and worth some further exploration is that there were numerically more patients that died in the cefetrocol group who had HCAP than in the meropenem group. Nine versus two. Once again, very, very small numbers, but nine versus two. And at the end of the study visit, the mortality rate was, was similar. So what does all of that mean? We don't really know. Overall, there is some question there. You know, we're, we're seeing some variance in, in that number, this slight hint that there may be some issues with mortality, possibly, we don't know. But the safety profile for serious adverse events and drug-related adverse events is similar between meropenem, the treatment arm, and the cefetrocol arm. So all in all, cefetrocol was found to be non-inferior to high-dose extended infusion meropenem for nosocomial pneumonia caused by gram-negative infection. And actually, there's this possibility that it might offer some effective coverage for patients that are at risk of uh, multi-drug-resistant uh, gram-negative infection. Like I said, that was evident by the performance or the outcomes associated uh, with the higher MICs to meropenem among acinetobacter. Moving forward to the second trial, this is a publication of a randomized, open-label, multi-center, pathogen-focused, descriptive phase three trial evaluating the efficacy and safety of cefetrocol or the best available therapy for the treatment of serious infections caused by carbapenem-resistant gram-negative bacteria. When you think about this study, there are a couple of things I want you to remember as being different. So the first study, remember, focused on cefetrocol versus extended infusion meropenem for nosocomial pneumonia. Pretty straightforward. This one actually is focusing on cefetrocol versus best available therapy, as we will find is deemed by the investigator of the local facility. Also, this is a pathogen-focused study, and we'll talk a bit about what that means. The study was conducted in a number of hospitals, 95 hospitals in 16 countries in North America, South America, Europe, Asia. This study included adult patients age 18 years or older with a diagnosis of pneumonia, HAP, VAP, or HCAP, bloodstream infection, complicated UTI, or sepsis. So they can have either of those, pneumonia, bloodstream infection, complicated UTI, or sepsis. And the sepsis was categorized as those who did not have a primary source attributed to pneumonia or complicated UTI. Because if they had a primary source of pneumonia and complicated UTI, they were categorized that way. I want to reiterate the fact that this was a pathogen-focused trial. So they really did try to do a good job of selecting for isolates that were carbapenem resistant. And they did that by any of the following five things. One, they could have had a documented treatment failure while on empiric antibiotics with a carbapenem resistant gram-negative pathogen confirmed by culture at least two days after the start of empiric therapy or susceptibility testing within 72 hours before randomization. So that was one. They could have had confirmation of their carbapenem resistance by use of rapid diagnostics. Three, identification of a pathogen for which the local susceptibility antibiogram showed more than 90% non-susceptibility to carbapenems. Four was confirmed stenotrophomonas maltophilia. 
And then five was patient confirmed colonization with carbapenem resistant gram negative bacteria in the primary infection site within 72 hours before enrollment and randomization and later developed an infection at the same site of colonization. So there were five different ways uh, that they could have been diagnosed with carbapenem resistant gram negative bacterial infection. So a little bit more leeway in the first trial, less in the second. Now, notable exclusions included uh, receipt of potentially effective antibiotics for the current carbapenem-resistant infection within 72 hours of randomization. So we want to make sure that you were not on a potentially effective drug within that short window heading into randomization. Uh, they also excluded patients who had an Apache 2 score of more than 30 or had refractory septic shock. So those patients, those very, very, very severe patients uh, were excluded. Let's talk a little bit about the treatment groups. This can get a little bit cumbersome, but we're going to try to work through it. Patients either received cefetrogol two grams every eight hours as a three-hour you know, infusion, adjusted for renal dysfunction. And remember, the adjustment for cefetrogol is that if they have a creatinine clearance greater than 120, they receive two grams Q6 hours instead of Q8. And that was compared to the second arm which was best available therapy as determined by the site. And this was for the management of pneumonia, bloodstream infections, or sepsis. And the cefetrogol could be combined with one adjunctive antibiotic for those indications. So whenever you're thinking about the breakdown in terms of the number of antibiotics that could be used in the study design, it was cefetrogol plus, plus or minus one adjunctive antibiotic for pneumonia, bloodstream infection, or sepsis. And for uh, those patients that were being treated for UTI, instead of receiving therapy for what would be seven to 14 days, which is the recommended treatment duration for the other antibiotics, they received a minimum of five days. All of this could be extended to up to 21 days at the, at the discretion of the investigator, but for the most part, seven to 14 for pneumonia, bloodstream infections, and sepsis, and a minimum of five days for the complicated UTI. Now, once again, the comparator group was best available therapy. And so that best available therapy had to be pre-specified before randomization. So you could not change after the fact, after they were randomized, that had to be outlined and specified before randomization. And that regimen can only contain a maximum of three systemic antibiotics. The primary endpoint for this study was the proportion of patients who achieved a clinical cure at the test of cure for nosocomial pneumonia, for bloodstream infection, or sepsis. And in patients who had complicated UTI, the primary endpoint was actually the proportion of patients achieving microbiological eradication at the test of cure. Secondary endpoints included assessments of clinical and microbiological outcomes at the end of treatment and included tests of cure and follow-up visits. And also the pre-specified secondary efficacy endpoint of all-cause mortality was actually evaluated at two different time points. It was evaluated at day 14, and it was evaluated at day 28 for each of the diagnoses. A total of 152 patients were randomized between September 7th of 2016 and April 22nd of 2019. And there were 101 patients that were randomized to the cefetrocol arm and 51 patients randomized to the best available therapy arm. 
And of the randomized population, uh, 150 patients received at least one dose, and they were included in the intent to treat and safety study populations um, of this clinical trial. When we look at the baseline characteristics, we'll find that in this particular study, a significant number of patients in the cerebral arm received monotherapy. So we talked about how they allocated treatment in this study. And remember, in call, they had the option of receiving at least one adjunctive antibiotic. But really what happened is that 83% or 66 out of 80 patients in the call arm received monotherapy. And that is in stark contrast to the 71% in the best available therapy group that actually received combination therapy. Demographic and baseline clinical characteristics were generally similar between these two treatment arms. And so there were no, you know, kind of drastic or notable differences there. One thing that I do want to mention, though, is that there were 118 patients, 80 in the cefetoracol arm and 38 in the best available therapy arm that had at least one carbapenem-resistant pathogen at baseline and comprised the carbapenem-resistant microbiological intent-to-treat group. When we look at those pathogens that were carbapenem-resistant, there were no surprises there in terms of the, the most common pathogens. They were acinetobacter, klebnumo, and cinnamomus aeruginosa. So those were pretty consistent uh, with what we see typically in clinical practice, as well as what we saw in the previous trial. Now, the primary endpoint of clinical cure at Test of Cure was similar for patients with HAPVAP and HCAP. It was similar for patients with bloodstream infection or sepsis. However, when you look at the patients uh, with complicated UTIs, the microbiological eradication uh, at Test of Cure rate uh, was higher in the cefetoracol group compared to the best available therapy group. For complicated UTI, where we saw greater microbiological eradication with cefetoracol, that percentage was 53% in the cefetoracol group and only 20% in the best available therapy group. All-cause mortality at day 14 and day 28 was actually higher in patients with nosocomial pneumonia, bloodstream infection, and sepsis in the cefetoracol arm, but not for patients with a complicated UTI. We're back at this question about mortality, and we saw a hint of some potential issues in the previous trial that we discussed, but now we're beginning to see uh, some differences play out again. Now, when you look at all-cause mortality in this study, the differences between the groups appear to be largely driven by acinetobacter. A post-hoc analysis of all-cause mortality for regulatory purposes in the safety population showed that the cefetoracol group actually exhibited 6.4% uh, more deaths at day 28, it exhibited 15.3% more deaths at the end of study visit and 13.3% more deaths at day 49 compared to the best available therapy group. The cause for this difference in mortality is really not fully known. It was a small sample size. We talked about in the first study how the very small numbers kind of really prevented us from drawing any conclusion. And even still, although this is a, a slightly 
more robust group in terms of uh, documented gram-negative infections, still that small sample size and the heterogeneous nature of the patient population really makes it very difficult to determine what may have contributed to this difference in all-cause mortality. But there's one thing that does stand out in the data, and that is that there's a high proportion of carbapenem-resistant acinetobacter overall in this study. So when you look at the breakdown, 54 patients or 46% of patients in this study had an infection due to acinetobacter or caused by acinetobacter. And so really what this data shows or reveals is that there should be a level of caution before considering use in the treatment of acinetobacter infections. And this was a little bit different than the previous study, right? Because the previous study, very small numbers, but in that subset of uh, patients who had the higher MIC to meropenem, there was some benefit potentially seen with using the sephedral call among acinetobacter. But here, the higher portion of carbapenem resistance associated with acinetobacter seems to have some type of connection with the increased mortality associated with sephedral call. And in fact, this agent actually carries a warning now uh, for an increase in all-cause mortality. And that package insert recommends reserving sephedral call for the use in patients who have limited or no alternative treatment options for the treatment of complicated UTI, which is their FDA-approved indication. So here we are back at square one. I think that this was a particular agent that many thought and hoped and still hope would be an agent that we could position differently for serious gram-negative infections. But right now there's a lot kind of to think about with regards to this all-cause mortality picture and what that means for clinical practice, we don't know. And because we don't know, then I think it's very hard for us to recommend use of this agent more broadly at this time. Is it useful in the management of more serious resistant gram-negative infections? You know, I would say likely so. However, you know, its place right now really is in salvage therapy, I believe, in light of the associated mortality risks that really do still require a deeper understanding of the data and a more robust study to really evaluate what uh, the outcomes are in terms of mortality associated with this drug. So right now, what we have is another agent for potential use, but nothing to more than likely take the place of any of our mainstays right now that we have available. I do hope that this information has been helpful in just walking through these two, what I would say, key trials with regards to sevetrocol use and thinking about how we can begin to position this agent on our formularies and within our local facilities. I do believe that I speak for all of our Dayson staff and Dayson family, just really thanking you for tuning into our podcast today. I hope that you have gleaned something from this conversation and that it will be helpful in your clinical practice. And it's also my hope that you will tune in again for a future uh, podcast episode because uh, we have a lot in store. So with that, this ends our podcast episode and take care. Thank <laughs> you.